Turn with me this morning in the Word of God for a Bible reading to the book of Esther. I'm going to read together Esther chapter 4. The book of Esther chapter 4. And if you open your Bible and find Job, then you will also come to the book of Esther. Just work your way back. Esther chapter 4. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate. For none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hattach, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend unto her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hattach went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasury for the Jews to destroy them. And he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. And Hattach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again Esther spake unto Hattach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether hold thy peace at this time, 
Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. And fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Esther chapter 4 and it says in verse 15 and 16 Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days Night or day, I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I <coughs> perish. I want you to think with me this morning of Esther's faithful declaration of conviction in a day of crisis. Now Esther 4 is all about the reaction of Mordecai her foster father, and Queen Esther upon the discovery of the plan to destroy all the Jews throughout the Persian Empire. A man called Haman, the enemy of the Jews and adversary of God's people, had encouraged King Azuharis to sign and seal a letter into law that planned the genocide of the whole Jewish population in all of the 127 provinces that made up the Persian Empire. If you look with me at chapter 3, verse 13, it reads, And the letters were sent by posts into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, Little children and women in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Notice not one of them was to be spared. All the Jews were designated for slaughter, young and old, little children, that includes the babies, and women, young and old, in one day. The entire Jewish population were to be put to death in one day and all their possessions were to be taken as spoils of war. Now when these letters were sent out and published and read and one of them was read or a number in the city of Shushan were told this. The king and Haman sat down to drink but the city Sushan was perplexed. 
At once Mordecai got wind of this devilish plot. He perceived and understood fully the full implications that this decree would have upon him and upon the Jewish people. Chapter 4 verse 1 tells us how he reacted to such a news. Naturally he was heartbroken. He, he tore off all his clothes. He, he put on sackcloth and ashes. The Bible tells us he cried with a loud bitter cry. He sat outside the king's gate in the city of Shushan and he he really bawled his eyes out, as we would say in a good Ulster expression. When Queen Esther heard that Mordecai was sitting outside the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes, the first thing that she did was she sent a change of clothes for him. She was probably embarrassed that her foster father was sitting there in that position, bawling and greeting, and uh, with sackcloth and ashes. Now the Bible tells us in verse Four, but he received it not. Uh, then Queen Esther uh, dispatched one of the king's chamberlains that was appointed to attend unto her, a man by the name of Hatak, and she said to him, I want you to go and see why he's sitting there in sackcloth and ashes and crying with a bitter loud cry. Go and seek to know what it was and why it was so. Now, when Hatak came to speak to Mordecai, uh, Mordecai uh, told him verbally all that he knew. He says in verse 7, And Mordecai told him all that had happened unto him. And if the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasury for the Jews to destroy them. Not only did he tell him something verbally, but he showed him something that was written down. He gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them. And he said to Hatak, you've got to show it unto Esther. And you've got to declare unto her this charge. It says in verse 8, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto them and to make a request before him for her people. Now, when Hattai came and reported to Esther, Esther sent word back to Mordecai, look, I haven't spoken to the king for 30 days. This is going to be impossible because nobody can barge right in face to face and speak to the Persian king because there's a law that anybody that does that, they will be immediately put to death. That word was sent back to Mordecai by Hattai. And then it says in verse 13, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all of the Jews. For if thou altogether hold thy peace at this time, then there shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then what follows is Esther's faithful declaration of conviction in the day of crisis. This was a faithful statement of purpose and conviction. These, of course, are powerful words. Esther 4, verse 16 is a great text. 
uh, one that has been used by God's people, especially in times of crisis, and was to the forefront of the thinking in the early days of the Free Presbyterian Church. This was really a call to stand firm and be faithful like Queen Esther in the face of grave and certain danger. And I believe, of course, that this resolution of Esther was a genuine resolution to stand firm in an evil day. And no matter what the cost was involved for her, she said, if I perish, I perish. And I want us to think this morning of these words. I want us to think of Esther's faithful declaration of conviction in a day of crisis. Now there's three things. First of all, I want you to notice the spiritual complacency that Esther disclosed. The spiritual complacency that Esther disclosed. You see, Queen Esther was living in Shushan Palace with King Ahasuerus. And she really didn't know what was going on in the city. She didn't maybe even know what was fully going on in the palace where she had her quarters. She maybe didn't know what was going on in the provinces. And she definitely didn't know at that time about Haman's plot. Now, in contrast, Mordecai knew. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, the word perceived means he, he had knowledge of. He understood and knew about this devilish plot. He, of course, knew that Haman was a descendant of the Amalekites. And you have to think of Agag, king of the Amalekites, that was spared by Saul and slew by Elijah. Upon receiving the letter, he understood that this meant the total destruction of the whole Jewish race throughout the Persian Empire. He had heard the report. He had saw and read the letter himself. And he had perception. He, he understood. He knew that this was a real threat facing me and my people. But at that time, and at that point, Esther didn't. Esther's living in Shushan Palace in her quarters, and she's totally oblivious to all this. She had no real idea of what was happening in Shushan City or in any part of the province of the Persian Empire or what was happening among the Jewish people. She was not aware of the latter. She was not aware of this devilish plan. Was she being sheltered in the palace? Was she preoccupied with queenly duties? She was really ignorant. As I've said, there, there was a, a spiritual complacency that, 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 that was diagnosed here. And it lay undiagnosed until there was an exchange between her and Mordecai and the king's chamberlain attack. See, I, I believe this morning that Mordecai, in the providence of God, was pivotal. He was used of the Lord 
to bring Esther to a better understanding of the times that she lived in. I want you to think of Mordecai's consternation. If you look at verse 1, it says, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. The man tore his clothes. The man put on sackcloth and ashes, which is emblematic of mourning. The, the, the man offered a loud and bitter cry in the city. The man was outside the king's gate. I want you to think of his correspondence. He corresponded verbally. He told Hatak all that had happened unto him. He even told him of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasury for the Jews to destroy them. And then not only did he tell him something verbally, but there was a proof that he could produce. He produced the letter. You see, if he just went back and told Queen Esther some words, it could be dismissed as hearsay. She might have reacted wrongly and dismissed the whole um, verbal communication. The safest option, not only tell her verbally, but, but sure literally. A copy of the letter. Here's first-hand knowledge. I, I don't want Hattack to misrepresent what has really taken place. So in the correspondence, there, there was a verbal communication, but there was also something written down. There was words on the page. Here's Proof Esther. We are living in perilous times. And I want you to learn, Esther, that there's one who has set upon our destruction, the, the destruction of all our people. So there was his consternation. He was heartbroken. There was his correspondence. Did you notice in verse 8 his charge? Look at verse 8. It says, And to declare it unto her, and to charge her, that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make a request before him for her people. You see, the word charge there speaks of intensity. This is serious stuff. Don't ignore this. Don't, 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 don't dismiss this. You've got to take this on board. The king, his governor, Haman, the Persian government, they are set against you and your kind. And your very existence and survival is at grave risk here. So, so Esther learns all about the consternation of Mordecai. She, she learns about the correspondence that he sends, the, the verbal word, the written word. She learns by this very strong, intense charge. And what does she learn? She learns of the deep-seated hatred for Mordecai and for every Jew in the Persian province. She learns of a plan that's been set in motion for her destruction and the destruction of her people. And to date, Esther had been <laughs> ignorant and unaware and even complacent of all that is happening among the, the Jewish people of 
the 127 provinces. But thank God there was one man in Shushan that has had his finger on the pulse. He was in touch with reality. He was in touch with the people. He was a man of understanding of the times. And what we need today in our province is Mordecai's. We, we, we need men who are understanding of the times in which we live. Because I believe amongst ourselves, myself included, there's a spiritual complacency that needs to be diagnosed. Let me ask the question. Where do we stand in relation to the spiritual needs of the Church of Christ today in Ulster? Where do we stand in need of the spiritual needs of our own community? Where, where do we stand in relation to the spiritual realities that are facing our country? Are we like Esther? We've got a spiritual complacency that's lying undiagnosed. Or are we like Mordecai? Have we got our finger on the pulse? Are we understanding of the times? You see, once this complacency was discovered, once it was diagnosed and exposed, then Esther was prompted to react. Esther was brought face to face with the gravity of the situation. Now, it's a fact that we're living in the last days, we could really say, and it was a theme of our presbytery some years back, I think two or three, that we're living in perilous times. It says in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. We face an adversary today that is bent on the church's downfall and destruction. I believe it's the plan of the devil to destroy the church of Christ. I believe it's the plan of the devil to destroy the testimony of God's people. And that the devil is a roaring lion coming against the church will stop at nothing. The devil has a plan and a procedure in his mind. He's got a purpose in place to, to destroy the credibility and the testimony of God's people. Remember what we read in the book of Ephesians? In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul makes a, a tremendous statement of fact. He says in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, now it's important that we recognize that. We're in a spiritual battle. You see, we're in such a battle 
that the very foundations of the gospel itself are under attack. And they're under attack from within the church. And they're under attack from without. You think of the churches in Northern Ireland today that deny the doctrine of the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. They deny inerrancy. They deny infallibility. They deny the sufficiency and the authority of the Scriptures. They deny the personal work of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They deny the doctrine of the Trinity. They deny that God has revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They deny the doctrine of sin. Who defines sin? What is sin? The Bible tells us. Sin is the transgression of the law. The catechism tells us sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Many churches deny the necessity of the new birth. They deny the, the, the doctrine of salvation by faith alone, um, in Christ alone, through grace alone. They deny the doctrine of heaven. They, they deny the doctrine of hell. They deny the need for a holy life. Isn't there a lot of talk today about Christian liberty? Christians can live and do as they please. They can go where they like. Many want a justification without the doctrine of sanctification. You, you add into these doctrinal issues that are affecting the church today. And, and we could go on and talk about the introduction of new versions, the introduction of contemporary worship into churches, the, 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 the dressing down to go to worship. You, you add into that mix the moral issues of the day. Some think that sodomy is, in, or is compatible with true Christianity. And we saw that yesterday in our capital city. I want to tell you it's not. There, there's those in churches today, those who are clergymen, who tell us that homosexuality is not a sin under the judgment of God for which you need to repent and get right with God. Now when you have clerics telling you this, we've got a problem. We have a grave and certain danger. We have the call for uniting together. You've got the popularity of the ecumenical movement and the confusion of the charismatic movement where there's a call to overlook doctrine and the, the desire is to, let's be popular. Let's to be in tune with, with, with what people want. You see, what I'm saying this morning is this, the church is under attack and we, we have many enemies. These are perilous times. We're living in perilous times and we need to know about it. And we need men and women who understand the perilous times that we face. Like the men of Ephesicah. It mentioned in First Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. And it's my prayer that God would give us a spirit of understanding. We need leaders with a spirit of understanding of the times. Because what affects the church is affecting the country. Are we provinces under attack? And the devil will stop at nothing to destroy the credibility and the purity of the work and witness of God. The devil will even attempt to tear us from Christ if that was possible. And the reality is, folks, many of us of God's people are complacent. We, we were delighted to have 65 or 70 at the open air. But, you know, we really should have had several hundred. Even 700 there. Many today are half-hearted. They're lukewarm. There's a coldness. Many, even some within the ranks of the Free Presbyterian Church, don't want to take a stand today. 
We're told that street protest is negative now. I don't care whether it's negative or not. We're standing for the honour and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't the Bible say, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge? You see, there's a lack of real perception of the issues facing the church and the issues that are facing the country. Many want to live in ease in Zion, and they don't want to think about this, and they don't want to be forced to understand. And for a time, Esther was complacent. Her complacency was undiagnosed. And then it was brought to the fore, and she was shown the perilous times that faced her and her fellow countrymen. And it was through the spiritual comprehension of a man by the name of Mordecai. He disclosed the reality of the perilous times to the queen. He didn't want her to ignore it. He didn't want her to bend it. He didn't want her to fail to respond to it. He knew it was vital. He knew it was necessary. Her very life and the life of her people depended on it. The spiritual complacency that was diagnosed. Very secondly and very quickly, and I'm watching the clock here, the, the spiritual courage that would display. See, Esther, young people, is in Shushan Palace. She's, she's in her early 20s. Uh, she's a Jewish girl, although the king, as you hear us, doesn't know she's a Jewish girl. I, I just want to tell you that. She's been living there for eight or nine, nine years, and the king doesn't know she has a Jewish birth and a Jewish in origin, Jewish descent. He doesn't know that, for she was told not to tell him. Remember, she was a tremendously beautiful young girl. And uh, after the death of uh, Queen um, Vashti, uh, the oh. King Asuherus chose Queen Esther. And now, as a young girl, she's facing the greatest crisis of her life. And what is she urged by Mordecai to do? In fact, she's charged. It's not just an urge. To go in and speak to the king. Now, now, maybe I could just explain something here for a few minutes. The Persian Empire had very strange laws. The king and queen had a very strange relationship. She hadn't seen him for 30 days. Now, so, some men would love that in a married relationship, not, not seeing their wife for 30 days. Maybe they wouldn't. Um, it, it is difficult when, you, when your wife's not about. But she hadn't seen him for 30 days. Maybe the king was happy with that. But she couldn't approach the king. She couldn't go and speak to him. Husband, a wee word. You see, she could only go when he invited her to come. That was protocol. And um, she couldn't approach him unless she was properly attired. She had to be dressed like the queen. She, she couldn't go in her gym jams. She couldn't go in the night dress or, or the nightgown. And I'll tell you something else. She had to be careful. Because if she barged in, husband, I want a word with you. It would be off with her head. Certain death. If he was in a cross mood, if he was in a bad mood, then she could die and perish quite quickly. Once Esther learns of Mordecai's consternation, the man sitting outside the gate broken hearted. Once she hears about the bitter cry from his lips. Once she receives this correspondence verbally and, and written down. She knows this, this letter's factual, it's true. And once she hears this charge, you need to go in. You need to talk to the king. She had no option. This was a life or death situation. And what did she say? If you look at verse 15, she says, So will I go in unto the king 
which is not according to the law. In other words, it's against the protocol. And if I perish, I perish. You, you see, there was courage involved in this decision. There was courage being displayed here. I'm sure there was a huge personal struggle going on in her heart and mind. She knew a big cost involved. I'm going at the very cost and expense of my life. I could lose my life. But the whole of the race is going to perish. And if they perish, I'm going to perish along with them. The life of tens of thousands of Jews rested upon her. And she was therefore submissive to this charge of Mordecai in verse 8. He had previously told her not to reveal her true identity to the king. As I've said, she's hidden there in Shushan Palace. He didn't know she was a Jew for eight or nine years. And now he's telling her to go and show herself to the king. Tell the king that you're also of Jewish origin. She's been called upon to obey. And that call involved submission to the mind and will of Mordecai. And you see, standing up for God. Even speaking a word of testimony involves submission to the will of God. To putting God first. To, to obey him. Remember the Lord Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. There was also a sacrifice involved. This was a real act of self-denial. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to put myself in danger here. I'm walking in unannounced, uninvited. There was a supplication involved. She was going to speak to the king face to face. And if you think of the church of Jesus Christ, and some feel that the church of Jesus Christ is in a form of life support, and think of our towns and villages where there's little spiritual light or, or, or gospel truth. What is needed? Uh, let, let me tell you what is needed. I, I'm convinced in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, and he says there in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, once we submit ourselves to God's will, and once we're prepared for self-sacrifice and denial, and once we make the supplication, we, we speak unto the king for help. Then courage that's lacking, courage that's deficient, will be given to us. Isn't there little courage today among God's people? Isn't there little courage and a willingness to be different, to, to stand up for Christ, to, to speak his name? Isn't true courage in short supply? Think of the, the tide of sin today. Think of the tide of heresy. Think of the tide of worldliness. Where's the spirit of the two Margarets of Wigtown, the older and the younger that were, that were drowned to death for having a Bible? That's why they were put to death. On, on Claverhouse's orders. The younger died first. Sorry, the older died first. And then the younger watched the older die. And then they thought that she would recant, but she didn't. She stood true. Now, let me tell you, thirdly and lastly, the spiritual confidence that was discovered. Think of Mordecai's words as we finish. He says, if thou altogether hold thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement, and that word enlargement means um, respiration, 
and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. If you hold your peace, Esther, and you decide not to go in, refuse self-denial, refuse submission, refuse to speak to the king, then the Lord will pass you by. But I want to tell you, the Lord will raise up others. He'll still bring about the deliverance, but he'll use other means. And God in providence shall raise up somebody else to bring about this needed deliverance of the people. He pressed home the message, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And you know, we should be praying in the free church. We should be praying that the Lord wouldn't pass us by. We should be praying that we discover that God raised up this church for the kingdom in such a time as which we live. And that we should be praying that we would withstand and be understanding of the times in which we live. And that we would stand against the enemy. I haven't time to develop this. There was a call for a fast here, a three-day fast of self-denial. There was the offer of supplication and prayer. There was even support. One influenced the other. It was Mordecai that influenced Esther. And Esther influenced her handmaidens. And and of course, uh, Mordecai encouraged the Jews in Shushan and the other provinces. There was help with one another and encouragement. And there was surrender. If I perish, I perish. We need a divine deliverance. We need divine intervention in Northern Ireland. The enemy has come in like a flood. There was many thousands professing the sin of homosexuality in Belfast yesterday. And that's only one of the sins. There was a call for change of the abortion law. A call for change in, in uh, what they call uh, same-sex marriage, which is not marriage at all. And we need to pray. And we need to fast. And we need to surrender ourselves to the Lord. And we need to support one another. We need to have faith in God who will work out his eternal purpose and bring together his plan. Remember what was said to Timothy as we finish. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he was told, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Isn't that going on in our very province? But listen to verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom Thou hast learned them. There was spiritual confidence that was discovered. One man had faith in God that God would bring about a deliverance. And he was encouraging Esther to be involved in that. And that's what we need. May the Lord take these few thoughts this morning and bless them to your heart and encourage you as we consider these things.